Hi, my name is Chrissy and welcome to the Resilient Imprint Podcast. For those that don't know, May is Foster Care Awareness Month and I thought to kick off the podcast by sharing the final removal from my biological family, which isn't a story that you often hear directly from those who have experienced it. It's typically something you hear from a third person perspective, such as a social worker or organizations whose purpose is to meet the needs that are associated with the aftermath. I hope sharing my firsthand experience serves as a useful insight. To minimize confusion ahead of time, I've noticed that some memories I can recall, what age I am only or instead the school grade. So bear with me if I reference either of them. At the time of my birth, I was the only child. My biological mom often shuffled me around various family members for the first few months of my life. And eventually, my cousin's grandparents, Elena and Faustino, convinced my mom to leave me in their care. And believe me, that's a whole other story in itself. I don't consider that a removal. Um, But literally, my mom was like, oh, cool. I don't have to pay you child support. You want to take this kid off my hands? By all means, here you go. Literally, that's what happened. There was no paperwork involved. They were just having physical custody of me. On and off, but they had physical custody of me. It's unclear if my biological father even knew about me, but I didn't have him in my life. At some point, I was fathered by a man who wasn't my father. And this isn't just Faustino. This is another gentleman and he's in he's on my birth certificate so I'm sure like the rest that's another story in itself but he was just in and out of my life he never really took the initiative of creating a family you know a stable environment for me then um, when I was around a year and a half my first sibling was born I don't know the documented reason authorities finally got involved in removing us for the first time, but um, I have an idea. And at this time, I was still in and out of Elena and Faustino's physical custody. But when the Department of Children and Family Services, who you will also hear me commonly refer to as DCFS, when they got involved, Elena and Faustino had to go through the process of adoption because they didn't have any legal documentation stating that they were a legal guardian of any kind to me. I have faint memories of living with Elena and Faustino, but they were really pleasant memories. At the time of my first removal, I faintly also recall the first foster family. I just remember the mother also being, well, her name was Maria, and she had a husband, she had a few kids. The main thing that I remembered from that home was that I would be thrown in cold water, whether it be showers, whether it be a tub full of cold water, because I would wet my bed. So, I mean, I was a toddler at the time, potentially maybe three or four learning to potty train. So, I mean, you could only imagine. Um, Then while I was in their care, along with my first sibling, my third sibling was born. And that's when my biological family started getting 
involved in my welfare. And I do have some memories, early memories of being in the courtroom. There's actually a photo that I found that I'm in the courtroom and I'm inside of a yellow car with a red bottom and you use your legs to move it. If you're a 90s baby, you, you know what I'm talking about. So by this time, I'm probably around five or six years old. My grandmother is awarded custody of all three of us. So that means that my mom didn't have custody of my youngest sibling either. At the time of arriving at my grandmother's home, I remember wearing a purple top and a matching skirt. It had white teddy bears all over it, the top and the skirt. And it had circular tassels around the edges. Very 90s vibe type of outfit. And Bell Gardens, California was my new home. So now we're fast forwarding to third grade. I was in class at Suva Elementary, sitting in my assigned seat. And the principal came into the class asking for me and instructed me to take all my belongings with me when I go with her. At that moment in time, I was a goody good. And I say this because you will later find out that it was not always the case for me in school as I entered the foster care system. So when I was called by the principal, I'm thinking, I, what did I do to deserve this? Like, what, what did I do that I have to get all my stuff? And on our way to the office, the principal told me that there was someone I knew to pick me up uh, for the rest of the day. Sure enough, I see Lydia, my social worker. Mind you, I didn't have the capacity to understand what her job entailed. As far as I understood it, she was a friend of the family's because I've literally known her for so long. So Lydia eventually ended up just telling me something vague that she was going to pick me up so I could go home and get my belongings. And that was it. So I left with more questions than answers, but my school was literally around the corner from my grandmother's home. My grandmother's home was right in front of Ford Park, and in back of Ford Park was, I do believe it's a middle school, and then Suva Elementary. So it was like a very short two to three minute drive. And as we're getting closer to my grandma's house, I realized that there's like a bunch of police everywhere. Her driveway was completely blocked by police cars. There's yellow tape, people are in suits, walking around, seemingly looking for something or someone. Others questioning family members inside of the home as well as neighbors. It was completely surreal. So many things were going through my mind at the time, but my first priority were my siblings and immediately I started looking for them. In the midst of looking for them, Lydia was asking me to place my belongings into a black trash bag. Eventually my scared siblings were brought out of one of the bedrooms and they clung on to me asking me what was going on. And you have to understand that the context of relationship I had with my siblings, unfortunately at such a young age, it was very much caregiver relationship with them. And for my age, I was too aware of my surroundings. So it was not unusual for them to look at me as opposed to an adult 
for direction or instruction. And as they're asking me what's going on, the best way I could describe my mindset at that moment was just shell shock. My eyes could see the chaos unfolding, but my mind could not comprehend what was going on. And although I was being questioned by, I don't know, maybe a detective or another DCFS worker, I couldn't coherently answer back. I was just like a deer in headlights. My social worker, Lydia, finally rounded us up after stuffing all the trash bags full of our belongings in her small sedan and told us we had to get in the car. As we were being whisked away, I can hear my grandmother in Spanish yelling at our names and and telling us to come back and demanding my social worker, Lydia, to bring us back. My siblings were in the back seat already, crying, confused, and still asking me, like, what is going on? All I could do as I was sitting now in the front seat of my social worker's car was just, I don't know, like, you're still shock, trying to process what's going on. I mean, tears were uncontrollably streaming down my face yet I had to find a way to compose myself because I needed to reassure my siblings that everything was going to be okay and because I was with them that I would never leave them and you know that was really really hard because those words would haunt me and if you've experienced the foster care system you know what I'm talking about the separation that you're not prepared for you're not even advised of but once my social worker got into the car um you know she sat in the driver's seat she buckled herself in I asked her you know where was she taking us to and she just handed me a pink bunny with a bow tied around its neck popped in a cassette soundtrack of the Lion King yep that's another 90s reference okay back in the day we used to listen Besides the radio, there was a cassette player and she just told me somewhere safe where you and your siblings can't get hurt anymore. Down deep inside, I knew I would never be back home again and I felt it was all my fault. So I tried to recollect myself the best that I could, face my window as I stared at the chaos outside because my window was facing my grandmother's home and I put my right hand on the window and we drove away to the Lion King soundtrack playing Akuna Matata. Like for real. Can't make that up, okay? <laughs> the irony, okay? If you don't know Akuna Matata, it's supposed to, it's a Disney song from the Lion King. And part of the lyrics is it's our problem free philosophy, Akuna Matata. And the irony was that um, there was so much problems going on at the time. And I was driving away what felt like driving away from everything I know and symbolically that's actually what Cinda, Simba ends up doing right he ends up leaving thinking that he did something wrong and he leaves and he doesn't come back until you know it's his time to come back but anyway I don't remember anything else from that drive other than how long it was we finally arrived at our destination which was Serenity and in Covina California it would be the agency where we were fostered through. A warm face by the name of Maria greeted us at the front office and a quick examination happened to all of us. Kind of like an intake. All three of us were placed in a temporary um, placement not too far from the agency and 
that we were really fortunate for us three to be immediately placed into a temporary foster home because that's not the case for everybody. So you could only imagine, like it was traumatic being pulled away from your home, everything that you knew, and then on top of that, being separated from your siblings. And as a child who had a caregiver mindset, that probably like that would have messed me up. So I'm very, very happy that did not happen. But that was the beginning of a new journey for my siblings and I. And I would soon realize that the world didn't look like me. I lived in a very sheltered environment. We were all primarily Hispanic. And um, now speaking Spanish would subject me to ridicule. Attending school was actually mandatory. I mean, I was a little kid and it was normal for me to skip school. Like that was normal life to me at the time when I lived with my grandmother. And um, short stays would now be normal for a while. You know, I wouldn't stay in a placement for long. Thankfully, I didn't have a lot of placements, actually. But I realized that everything was, I felt like everything was temporary because of those experiences. Goodbyes would be excruciatingly difficult to, to say. I hated goodbyes. I mean, typically your school year ends it's great. You're going to have summer. Like not for me. That was like devastating. Change was inevitable, but saying the words goodbye was really hard. And promises should never be kept if we had no control of the outcome. Definitely a very hard lesson that I learned in my journey through the foster care system. My friends, according to childwelfare.gov, there are nearly 400,000 children currently experiencing the foster care system, which means, unfortunately, I am far from the only one with this experience. That's a lot of children currently, which means you have worked with with people who have experienced the foster care system at some point in their life. Those are the chances. If you're in school right now, whether it be you know, high school, college, whatever, chances are you are literally not the only child in that school who is currently experiencing the foster care system or aging out of it. And we don't get to choose what circumstance we are born in, what family we're assigned to, and the outcome isn't guaranteed to be in our favor. We do get to choose how to respond to the adversity. I want to leave you with this. Remember that you do matter. Remember you are worthy and you do belong. Until next time, my friends.